0: Okay, right. This morning, we're going to be talking about heroes, but I have a particular hero that I want to talk about this morning in the Bible. Absolutely incredible one. But before that, before that, let's talk about my childhood hero. My childhood hero. My childhood hero was Tintin. You ever know what Tintin is? I hope so. I really hope so. Tintin was amazing. He was absolutely incredible. Right. He used to he used to have this little dog called Snowy and they would rock around fixing and finally work out all of these weird clues to find treasure, money, but they always get caught by usually it was like so sort of like either like Nazi soldiers or these like bad guys. They look really, really scary. And he had like this Luger pistol and he ran around you can see how excited I'm getting already about it. But it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I just loved everything about it. It's actually the point that I had a spy party when I was Younger uh, how I don't know how old I was like like 24 like <laughs> yeah 13 check that out 13. I was like I don't know this a spy party when I mean, everybody rocked up with their favorite like James Bond outfits on Some people were wearing tuxedos some people were wearing sort of like leather jackets looked a little bit kind of like Arnie It was kind of odd, but anyway me my party who did I choose to be <laughs> Tintin but, I mean crazy beige colored jodhpahs on high socks Blue jumper on, quiff in the hair, and a fake dog. I was like, that's that's how I chose to be. But it was amazing. I absolutely loved everything about who this guy was. He just fixed things. He found things out in the worst moments. In the worst moments, he was just alive, knew exactly what to do, was calm. He was always sophisticated. He knew what he was going to say. And he always got out of that sticky situation. That, to me, was a hero. That was amazing. Actually, to this day, I think he's pretty cool. But actually, when you go and have a look at the word hero and what it means, we really have diluted it over the years. We really have changed what it means. You look back at the original Oxford Dictionary, meaning, the original Oxford Dictionary, the idea of having the origins of the word behind a person who puts the life of someone else before their own is the only thing that was written in the Oxford Dictionary at that time for for the word hero. Let me read that again. A person who puts the life of someone else before their own. Now, the Oxford Dictionary is something that's progressive. It's constantly changing. Nowadays, the same thing says a person who puts the life of someone else before their own or an idol. Same book. That's what it says. Somebody that they strongly admire has been written third. We've added a bunch of new things to it from that original meaning. I just really played with my mind. It's like, what do I actually think about that? This word hero, it's all about being able to put yourself in harm's way to help someone else, it has now been matched with just somebody that you think is pretty cool. Hmm. Okay. All right, so that was interesting. That was a thought. So then I thought, start thinking about, well, this guy that I really like in the Bible, is he a hero in the sense of the original context? So then I thought, well, he survived an earthquake. Three shipwrecks, 24 hours afloat in the open sea, countless beatings between towns around the Mediterranean Sea, 39 lashes where 40 would usually kill a man, but he actually got that five times, a near fatal stoning, losing and then receiving his sight, a basket ride down a city wall, the bite of a poisonous snake, treachery, imprisonment, a plot by men who vowed not to even eat something until he was dead, riots. Finally, he was killed by beheading. Yep, yep, I think, yes, I think he is the original statement of who a hero is. So if you haven't already worked it out, I'm going to be talking about Saul. I'm going to be talking about Saul, Paul. Paul, Saul. I said, we're going to play with this later on. Saul, Paul, we're going to call him him Saul for the moment, anyway, at least. So, then I thought to myself, well, why does it make him a hero? It's not because he actually endured any of these things. It's not because he endured them. It's because he endured these things for other people. That's what makes him a hero in my eyes. See, Paul was really quite an amazing character. And guys, I can't stand here for the next 25 minutes and tell you everything that Paul did. I just can't. So I am going to whirlwind storm this, and we're going to get to some serious points that I want to make later on. The thing that's amazing about this guy is the fact that he convicted me so much as a Christian. Conviction is a thing that we've now put into almost like this negative context, that conviction is something that's really bad. If you're convicted, it means that, well, you must be doing something wrong. Well, yes, you are, but the conviction is the statement that you know it's wrong. That's amazing, and that should be celebrated, guys. So this morning, this is about celebrating conviction. This is important. So we need to cover a little bit about Paul's background before we can really cover anything about what he's done. So, he was probably the son of a tent maker. There's a lot of statements that are made through the Bible that kind of highlight that. And at the time in where he lived, in a place called Tarsus, it was very, very well known for raising these goats that had really long hair. All right, now I think it's like, where's this going? They had long, long hair, okay? And this long hair used to be shaved really, really close to the skin, and what they would do is they would weave it into cloth, and that cloth had incredible value because what they could do is they could use it in the sunshine, it was black, you'd think, well, that's gonna heat up. Amazingly, the inside of a tent would stay cool. And at nighttime, the heat from the people inside the tent would then keep them warm, and it wouldn't escape through this incredible goat fur that was on the outside of it. Absolutely incredible. So in Tarsus, there's a most likelihood that he was a tentmaker's son. But actually, there's more to it than that. Because all of those tents, those black tents, used to be used by nomads all over the country. okay, Through Syria, Asia, Asia Minor, they all used it. But incredibly, every army used them too. Now you start thinking about those armies and all of them needing tents. You then think to the fact that at that point in time, in that point in history, Tarsus was actually run by the Roman Empire. So as the Romans were moving further east, they were using those tents too. Now there's a reason for this being so important. If you think about the fact that they were making these tents and he was making loads of money as a family, and they were helping out Romans as they moved further east, as soon as you helped the Roman Empire at that point in history, you became a Roman citizen, which meant that you had the freedom to travel like a passport Around the Roman Empire with no problems. One incredible ticky box straight away for our friend Saul. Also, due to this wealth, he was able to train and study under Jewish law. It cost a lot of money, and you had to have some social standing to even get through the doors to speak to Pharisees about learning. Probably at the age of early teens, he'd have been right there spending time with the Pharisees learning the Jewish text. he had been looking at different, uh, different passages, dissecting them, and actually there's, there's evidence to suggest that he met under a person called Galil, which is an interesting one if you want to Google him, Okay, who was known as the Grand Teacher of the Jews. Incredible character, Okay, who, who was very, very calm, his, his words were always subtle, but he learned under him. So actually, in that time, he was spending learning about how to be a prosecutor, he was learning how to be a lawyer, he was learning how to be a senator, and he was learning how to be a spiritual master for the Jewish law. That's a huge undertaking, and it wasn't done quickly. The idea of going off and doing a degree for four years in the UK falls into insignificance when you think that you it at 13. And Paul was probably around about 30 when this was all kicking off. It's a long time to be studying with people, let's be honest, right? You see, this training taught him how to dissect But the key thing that they did in the Sanhedrin when they spent time in the high courts was that they loved to debate. That's what it was for. They had curved seating to allow a larger floor space so they could stand in the middle and aim in both directions. It was all about debate. That was a major part of the story. Always, when you came into the Sanhedrin to speak, you got to the high courts, there was a number. You had this opportunity to debate your case, always. They loved the fact that they were brought to understand debate. So let's think about this. Paul was trained to debate. Paul was trained in Jewish law. So then when this guy Stephen rocks up and he speaks in one of these high courts, this place where Saul has spent years of his life training and studying and learning and knowing exactly what to say in front of these people, suddenly Saul comes in and goes, guys, I love you all, but you got it wrong. You've got it really wrong. You have to understand the fact that Jesus, he was the Messiah and, you know, you killed him. You killed him. Saul was disgusted. How dare you say that he was the Messiah? Plus, also, how dare you say that we were wrong? I'll be studying this. Now, at this point, it says that if you look into Acts 7, verse 54 to 60, it says that the angry mob took Stephen. So there would have been probably, you know, a huge number of people there, that have just said, they said, I'm not having this, this is ridiculous. Let's take Stephen outside. And they stoned him right there and then to death. That's the kind of debate they were willing to give out with the Jewish understanding. So you see, Saul would have been obsessed with following the law to a T. He was obsessed with it because that's how the Pharisees viewed their law. They were senators, they were prosecutors, they were lawyers. They had to stick to what the old scripture said. See, Saul became known for his hatred of anything against Jewish law and hunted preachers of Christ as a result. So, you asked the question now, why is he like one of my favorite? This is a bit weird. Well, there's big reasons for it. On the way to, uh, uh, to chase down more Christians, he was sent by the Pharisees to a town called Damascus. But Saul had a counter there like no other. Now, we all know how it goes. We all know how it goes. We know what happened. And I've read that so many times because I like Paul. I think he's cool. And also, the story that he had behind him was amazing. But, guys, I'm just going to read just a a wee passage from the Apostle or Life of Paul by John Pollock, right? It's just a slight variation of the information, okay? So, please understand the fact that I'm not reading from the Bible for this bit here, but I really think this helped me understand the people. This one just made him understand the feeling, because if you look at the, w- the verses in the Bible, it says that he was obviously, he was, he was blinded by the light, he was told to do something by Christ, and then he moved on. Okay, let's have a read of this one. He looked up. Within the center of light which blinded him from his surroundings, he faced a man of about his own age. Unfold my page now. Paul Saul could not believe what he had heard and saw. All his convictions, intellect and training, his reputation, his self-respect demanded that Jesus should not be alive again. He played for time and replied, who are you, Lord? He was using a mode of address that might mean simply your honor. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you this kicking against the goad. Then Paul knew. In a second that seemed an eternity, he saw the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet and saw his face. And he knew and he'd seen the Lord that he was not only there in front of him, but he was alive, as Stephen and the others had said. And there he loved not only those whom Paul persecuted, but also Paul himself. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. Not one word of reproach. Paul had never admitted to himself that he had felt pricks of the goad he had raged against Stephen and his disciples. But now, instantaneously, he was shatteringly aware that he had been fighting Jesus. And fighting himself, his conscience, his powerlessness, the darkness and chaos in his own soul. God hovered over this chaos and brought him to the moment of new creation. It wanted only his yes. Paul broke. He was trembling and in no state to weigh the pros and cons of the changing sides. He only knew that he had a voice and had seen the Lord and not anything else mattered. But to find and obey his will. What shall I do, Lord? Oh, I love that. How amazing is that? This is the wording. It's no longer a damning moment. Sort yourself out, soul. Saul. This is what's going to happen. Do you trust me yet? I'm going to blind you. No, so misunderstood. It was an overwhelming understanding from self that everything he had done up to that point was wrong. And the thing that changed him was not anger, it was love. Love changed him, not anger. Here's what changed me. This man, so lost in law and rules, who had ordered the killing and imprisonment of so many, in one meeting with Christ, one meeting, he changed his beliefs forever. Think about that for a second. One meeting with Christ. He changed his beliefs forever. He never stopped. He never took breath. He never questioned, he never denied, he never pleaded, he never moaned, he never backtracked, he never ignored. His experience was so overwhelming that it was done, finished, right there and then, his changes forever. My conviction, it just took one. It just took one time for Christ to speak to him and he was changed forever. When I was eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. I meant every word I said. Eight years old. But then you become a teenager. Don't you? Then you have moments of uncertainty and things change a little bit. But I pulled it back together again. God caught me. And at 16 year old, I was baptized. Because I meant it wholeheartedly. Every single part of that was a decision that I made, and I trust and I stand by it. But then I got to uni. <laughs> Things change, doesn't it? You meet new people, you get yourself into whatever bother you fancy. So then, when I was about 19 years old, I got an incredible chance to be a girl on this mission trip to Canada, where God spoke to me atop of a mountain in the Rockies that pretty much just said, Pete, why have you stopped listening? That broke me. But when I was 24, I met Ruth. And I found about worldwide mission. I understood about travel and the fact that this goes further than my doorstep. Man, my eyes were opened. And then when I turned 30, I found this church. I found my family. These are all massive changing moments. How many encounters with Christ do I need to give everything? How many encounters do I need? People even talk about the Damascus Road moments in their lives. I wish I could say I had one. Because if I did, they wouldn't have missed the opportunities that I have. I'd spread the good news constantly. I'd have always been intentional in my conversations. I wouldn't have denied a chance for God to speak. Maybe I'd be more of a hero. You see, Saul wasted no time after the change. When Ananias prays and Saul's sight is returned, Saul goes out to preach the news of Christ is alive. Right after being baptized and sitting with a huge meal with people that he actually hated two days beforehand. He was actually chasing to kill. He sat with a meal with him. As far as the Sanhedrin are concerned, Saul was Christian hunting when actually he was already Christian making. God made no mistakes here. In Acts 9 verse 19 to 21, the Jews are so unsure and amazed that the figurehead of all things terrifying to them was standing in front of them and giving a message that Christ was alive after just one week ago He was condemning them. Man. See, Paul shows a polar change. A polar change. There was nothing gradual, no slow uh, uh, persuasion from God. God knew that he was meeting him in a place that he needed right there and then. There was something very special about that Damascus Road because it was what Paul needed. The power of the experience can change the mind of even the most polar of opposites. Let me give you a great example. My daughter Mia. Mia, that's really hot. Don't touch that. Okay, dad. I'm not going to touch it. That's fine. Why? Because I said not to. Now everything lies on the fact of how much does she trust me that what I said was hot is actually hot. So she might believe it, but then picking Ruth Straighteners up at the hot end certainly did teach her the experience. Now she's a believer. (laughs) And she tells others with an unwavering faith. Because it's experience that taught her, not somebody telling her just by word of mouth. Sometimes experience is what needs to change. This is what God planned for Saul. He had got somebody who was a Jewish leader to understand everything about Christ being risen. So he was a Jewish leader who was trained in debate. He was a Jewish leader that had high standing, that people trusted and understood what he said. He was feared. And that's who Jesus got organized to change the world. He was someone who can come right alongside his fellow Jews, knowing exactly where they're coming from. He wasn't coming in as an outsider, as a Gentile, saying, you Jews aren't doing this well. He was able to come alongside them and say, I know exactly how you feel, but can I just tell you the bit that we're missing? He had that ability. He understood every struggle, and he 100% believed that Christ was risen. Because he'd seen him with his eyes. You see, this is the thing that I love about this, and I want to just hold on to it for a second. God plans ahead. Don't think that it's because we've got something happening right now that God didn't see it coming. It's what we say in between and when we let Him actually take control. That's what's going to allow those paths to follow or not. He's gone before you. Always. He's always thought ahead. You see, what Saul didn't realize in this whole experience was that Saul was actually training for this from the moment he walked in to meet the Sanhedrin for the first time around. He was actually training for it before he was born. He didn't realize it (laughs) because he was nothing. God knew exactly who he was going to be. All Saul needed to do was say yes. So, the impact of this had on the Jews in Damascus was interesting. It was pretty amazing. Lots and lots of people converted right there and then. But there was also a huge mixed opinion. Lots of people pretty annoyed at the fact that he could say these blasphemous words in front of Jews. As a result of it, a nice big angry mob got together again. And they said, right, we're going to have to find him and kill him. they hung around the gates of the town of Damascus going, "We'll okay, him, this is the way he's got to go out. There's actually, in Damascus, there's a perfectly straight road that runs right through the middle of town. They had a group of one and a group of the other. This is how I got in and this is how I got out. So, they decided that basketing down the wall was the answer to be able to get him out. Incredible. Kill him? What would you have done? What would I have done in that situation? I've known this God in the format that I see him in front of me. In that Damascus road moment, I've known him for less than a week. I was living a good life. And now, suddenly, I'm being faced with a chance of being dead. At that point, I think I'm going to be honest, I just started freaking out a little bit. I would have been like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I need to get out of here. I need to escape. So what did he do? He escaped. But here's the difference. Where did he escape to? Taurus, the next town to preach the next message. Not scurry away, pretend it never happened, saying, was that Saul? Did you see Saul in Damascus? Well, that wasn't me. Certainly wasn't. It looked a little bit like me, but it wasn't me. And forget about it. Just move away. Forget about it. Back to the Sanhedrin. Guys, I don't know what they're saying. What happened in Damascus, but blacked out. wasn't anything to do with me. I'm back to who I was, Jewish leader. We're all good, guys. Carry on. No, he didn't. Taurus straight away. Now you think, right? Well, okay, one step's not bad. He went to Taurus, Iconium, Derbe, Lystra, Perga, Paphos, Salamis, and then finally into Antioch. Oh, and that's the first of the three journeys that he then took on board. This was an unstoppable train. This was a guy that no longer cared what people thought about his life and what he was doing with it. He had one master. Threats would never deter him. He would only do one thing, and that's proclaim the truth. Nothing broke his momentum. I love the fact that in Acts 14, where he's healing a crippled man on the street, there are mobs from three different towns that try to find and kill him. Mobs from three towns, so he'd annoyed enough people in the Jewish community to get three whole groups to join together as a team and say, there's enough of us now, right, let's get him. So they got him, they took him outside, stoned him. If you understand the idea of stoning, what happens is the, the accuser gets to throw the first stone. So if you're the accuser, well, actually, if you've got a mob mentality, you've got accuser of one of those mobs and accuser of the second mobs and accuser of the third. So if stoning wasn't bad enough, he was probably stoned three times as much as he should have been. But yet when the disciples get around him and they pray for him, he stands straight back to his feet. And what does he do? I'm just going to go straight back in and carry on what I was doing. (laughs) What? This guy's mental. Right? This is what I absolutely love about him, because he doesn't have any care anymore for his own life. I've been given a mission, that's what I'm doing. I've been given a mission, that's what I'm doing. You see, Saul was saved by the love of people. And saving with the message of good news came from the profound understanding that Paul himself was loved by Christ. He was able to meet the standard of the definition hero, because he understood truly that he was saved. Every mistake he he had made was gone. Every moment of bitterness was gone. Every moment of hatred was gone. Every moment of pride was gone. Only Jesus, nothing else. When he looked at this, when he looked at this and understood it, when he experienced what he did, there was no turning back. When we look at the fact that he then went on to write 13 books, save so many, we can put him on a pedestal. We can be like, well, actually, I've just created my very new version of the word hero. I can idolize him, just like the Oxford Dictionary says now. I can put him right up there and say, that guy's amazing, I'll never be that. He was by definition a hero, but do you know what's bigger in the story is actually from Acts 20, verse 24. However I consider my life, nothing to me May only, may only, sorry, let me say that again because that was rubbish. However, I consider my life nothing to me. May only aim to is, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He says it right there. That's all that matters to him. The most heroic act that Paul did was not any of those moments where he spoke and potentially died. His most heroic moment was back on the Damascus road. And guys, this is where we really need to step into the story. So before the mobs, the shipwrecks, the lashings, the beatings, the stonings, the beheadings. Definitely not after the beheadings. This is what he did. On the Damascus road, Paul let himself be nothing. Think about it a second, guys. On the Damascus road, Paul let himself be nothing. See, God wasn't looking for a hero with guns and a great physique. He wanted a hero that was willing to give everything to impact his incredible Sphere of influence with the good news of Christ. See, guys, we all got sphere of influence. We're all here for a reason. Can we give our all? Everything. All of Paul's actions reflect a man sold for Christ, not a guy like going to church on a Sunday. For all his scholarly wisdom, he left it on the road to Damascus purely for godly wisdom. Paul's a hero because he let go. My question for you, and my question for me is this. How much will you let him have? Have you portioned just the right amount off for him to have, that he allows, uh, which allows us to keep living the comfortable way that we do? Am I portioning just the right amount off so that I don't even have to have an awkward conversation? with somebody that I meet. When we even talk about the idea of taking a beating in a conversation, to then think the fact that he took beatings over and over again, got back up, walked back in. How much will you let him have? What would I look like if I let him have everything? What would it take for me to give him that? You see, giving in and letting someone else do the hard work doesn't seem very heroic, but what happens if the person was God? Maybe that Damascus moment has never been so blindingly obvious. Excuse the pun. Well, maybe it is blindingly obvious to you. But the response is so simple. And just to close, I'm not going to pray a prayer Because the thing is, guys, the thing that's incredible about this moment and the thing that's so special is that it's between you and God. I can't pray for you in this situation, but you can pray for you. I certainly can pray for me. That the way that we act, the way that we, we perceive spending time with God is part of the story. The fact is that he's asked us to all have that Damascus Road moment. And look at the wonders that happened through one man Reaching all that area because he just said yes. So we give just a couple of minutes, guys. Just to pray yourself. Have a think about it. As I certainly am going to as well.